welcome back to What the HR Podcast. I'm Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson. And I'm Mike Toole, HR technology consultant with SAP SuccessFactors. Welcome back to another episode of What the HR. Today, we're joined by Brandy Olson to discuss the radical art of prioritization. Randy teaches leaders how to solve problems and adapt fast with high-performing teams. She is an award-winning speaker and best-selling author of Real Flow, Break the Burnout Cycle, and Unlock High Performance in the New World of Work. She has over 20 years of experience leading organizations that share a commitment to people, learning fast, and doing good in the world, from nonprofit Profits like Mayo Clinic to universities and startups to Fortune 100 companies like 3M and Wells Fargo. Brandy's work has been featured in Fast Company, Forbes, and Inc. Magazine. Brandy is the founder of multiple small businesses and is the CEO of Real Work Done, a global learning and organizational design consultancy. Brandy lives in Minnesota with her husband, Sam, their two children, Micah and Nora, one dog, and four chickens. We hope that you end up loving this episode with Brandy as much as we did. As always, if you're enjoying our episode topics and our guests, please head over to your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a rating and review. They do wonders in making sure that our podcast and our our episodes and our incredible guests um, can get out to other business leaders and HR professionals. Thanks as always for being a listener and enjoy the episode. All right, Brandy. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, I'm happy to be here today. Absolutely. Uh, Easy way of getting started, if you can let the audience know who is Brandy Olson, what do you do on a daily basis, talk about your career a little bit, and maybe what got you to the point of we're going to talk a little bit about your book. So tell us kind of how you arrived to uh, writing that book. Sure. So I am the founder and CEO of a consultancy called Real Work Done. Core to the work that we do is the belief that the only place that good work happens is in reality. And so we have to ground everything we do in how we actually work as real people, as real teams and real organizations. What we usually do with the companies and organizations that we work with is um, work around work with organizational design. In particular, how do you design and lead organizations and teams that can get real work done in reality? with high performance. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a particular bent towards doing that in the midst of markets and environments that are responding to change all the time. So how do you show up as real people, design yourselves and design your teams to get real work done when things are changing all the time and the work that you're doing is important. So that's Mm -hmm. my consultancy. Um, I came to this work through a really non-linear path. Many years ago, I was a high school special ed teacher I have a master's in learning and learning sciences. And um, I used to wonder sometimes, you know, what's a high school teacher have to do with organizational design? But I don't wonder that anymore because what I learned many years ago is that the greatest competitive advantage that any organization can have in a rapidly changing world is how fast they can learn together. Mm -hmm. And that's really the core of what I do is how do we show up to that work, learn fast, how to do it better, and then do it. Um, to get the outcomes that matter. So I, I do want to talk. So the, the point of the podcast, I guess the overarching theme today is we're going to talk about prioritization and making sure that companies prioritize the right things because there's so many things going on within you know the walls of a company. But also, as we talked in the beginning, 
prioritization in general in life and for us as whether it's parents or partners, whatever it may be, hopefully some of that will spill over. But I want to start with talking about the book, generally speaking, you know, like maybe not front to cover, but what are some other things in the book that that you talk about outside of just the prioritization? Because I believe that's kind of one aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the book is called Real Flow, Break the Burnout Cycle and Unlock High Performance in the New World of Work. And it's really about what happens when organizations exist in a, an environment of what I call organizational multitasking, competing priorities, and more work that they're trying to make progress on at the exact same time than they have the capacity to do at the exact same time. And what happens um, to the people who work at that organization and ultimately how that impacts the performance of teams and, and individuals and leaders at those organizations that are, what I say, flooded by competing priorities and mm-hmm. flooded with organizational multitasking and context switching and the real human cost of that. So prioritization is certainly a really important piece there, uh, but a lot of times we just start with, well, you got to prioritize better. And if it were easy to prioritize, I don't think we would be struggling and we wouldn't see the struggle that many organizations deal with because I've never met a leader who says, oh, prioritization is bad or we shouldn't have any focus, right? Like we know it's important, but it's really hard to start there. So I wrote the book um, because I continued to see in the leaders and teams that I was working with that they were um, suffering, right, from just this flood of competing priorities and struggling to get out of that. And along the way, the cost that was showing up in terms of burnout and poor quality and ineffective organizations and really diminished performance um, was just so hard to ignore. So I, I wrote the book because I wanted to have a different conversation and start a different conversation mm-hmm. um, around how we choose our work and the outcomes that that enables. Such an interesting time to write about this because the dynamics of what you're writing about probably changed pretty dramatically. Maybe not, but it, you know, we talk about burnout it's always been there, but during the pandemic, we seem to hear about it more. But also the fact that priorities change so quickly within mm-hmm. companies. And I'm curious. So kind of two questions. One, how did the pandemic impact the writing of the book or, or maybe the principles mm-hmm. in the book? And then uh, after that, which is a little bit different, but I'm curious how you work with companies to make sure that the leaders are aligned on the priorities because what I have found, and I imagine everybody runs into this, is every leader out there, their priorities are the biggest priorities. Mm-hmm. And so as an employee, I'm being told maybe three different things or four different things are priorities. Like, how do I, I feel like it has to start with the leaders. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It absolutely does. And I wrote this book for those leaders, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot in the book that is applicable to anybody who is dealing with um an abundance of important work to do, whether that's in a personal situation or at work, part of a team, but especially for those leaders, because I believe that prioritization is the unique and perhaps most important responsibility of leaders in an organization. And it was really interesting to write the book, to start it before the pandemic, to be working through the pandemic, and then to come back to the content and the research in the book and say, is this still relevant? And mm-hmm. what have I learned? What has changed? And how might that shape you know, the final outcome of the book? Dealing with competing priorities um, is certainly something that organizations have been dealing with for a very long time. 
burnout, dealing with context switching, dealing with that flood of organizational multitasking, that's not new. Um, But I think what we saw through the pandemic is the intensity increased and it changed a lot of the ways that we needed to respond. And I I think I saw two really big shifts. Um, One is that for some organizations, they've known for a long time that they live in a really dynamic market or they exist in a really dynamic market. And so being able to respond to change and be highly agile, they've known that for a while and they've been working on that. But I think one of the things that the pandemic did for all of us is to make super clear that no one is immune from rapid change. And, you know, I wound up working with a lot of healthcare companies and financial services companies um, throughout the early days of the pandemic. And and since then, industries that have perhaps struggled to respond to change really effectively and respond to the market. And I think that the pandemic showed us that rapid change can come from a variety of directions and in really unexpected ways. So how we flow our work, how we choose our work, and how that enables our agility to respond to whatever is coming next is essential. It's no longer an optional um, core capability of of a company. It has to be at the center of it. So I think that was one really big change. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I saw happen that was interesting is in the early days of the pandemic, many organizations went into crisis mode. And I actually, I worked a couple of the clients I was working with through the early months of um, 2022 and through the rest of that year showed up in that way. So one of the organizations I tell a story in the book about a financial services company, and they um, were working towards some organizational changes and team dynamic changes. And when the pandemic hit, one thing that shifted was their prioritization became abundantly crystal clear because the intensity of those early days of the pandemic, figuring out how to work from home, navigating um, new needs from their clients, this particular company was dealing with figuring out how to offer SBA loans to small businesses. And there was no room for anything that didn't add value. And that became incredibly clear. And so for about Four months in this organization, um, teams were aligned. They were super clear. Everybody knew what the number one priority was. They knew what needed to get done next. And they operated with this level of effectiveness that was remarkably different than how they'd operated before, because there was no illusion that we could do anything other than what was most important. And I saw that in a lot of organizations. And I think that I've seen, and I'd be curious from each of you, you know, what you kind of see, but as the intensity of that pandemic, those early pandemic days wanes, that um, clarity of focus has also waned. And it's been hard to continue that level of clarity and that level of alignment when the intensity and the crisis moment is gone. And I think that's a pretty common Mm -hmm. pattern. When I got back to writing um, and kind of reflected on, is this still relevant? Is this work still needed? What the conclusion I came to is yes, more than ever, mm-hmm. right? These are challenges that aren't going away and ones that we have to figure out how to navigate in order to deliver on the outcomes that really matter. Yeah, to comment, you kind of asked a question there in your statement, and then I have, and then I have a question for you is I think the reason why we probably saw that was because companies had no other choice, right? Like it wasn't a it wasn't a decision. It was I have to act right now, otherwise my company is going to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think 
it becomes really clear what you need to do when you're in crisis mode. But when you're not in crisis mode, then I think it can be, you're easily distracted or it's, you're maybe not as thoughtful in how you're setting your priorities. So that that's just my, my two cents on that. Um, and then my question is to maybe take a step back before we get too far down the lane here with this prioritization topic is maybe just starting with 101 and when you have companies, which again, we all agree, this is probably common at any organization, when you have competing priorities is how do you set what your priorities are? Like mm-hmm. what what are the basic steps that one needs to do when they say, okay, we have five things that we absolutely need to move the needle on this year in order to a- appeal to our stakeholders, appeal to our employees, appeal to fill in the gap here. Yeah, one of the things is I think to recognize that there's a difference between having priorities and prioritization. Yeah. So prioritization is a verb and prioritization means making choices. Many organizations wind up with five priorities. They might even say they're all high priorities, all number one priorities. Um, and they may be right. The, the work there may all be important, but not but that's just knowing what your priorities are, right? And and one of the realities about prioritization and one of the reasons why I believe so strongly that it's the work of leaders to do first is that somewhere along the line, prioritization will happen. There is a very physical human limit to how much work we can do at any given time in any given moment. And if you're not doing the hard work of prioritizing those five initiatives and saying, what needs to happen next? What do we need to get done? What's the rank order here? If you're not doing that hard work and you kind of kick that down the line, which often happens because it's really hard to answer that question. What's the prioritization of these five initiatives, right? So if you're not doing that hard work, um, it gets kicked down the line. And at some point, someone is going to decide what to work on today and what to work on tomorrow and what to get done this week versus next week. And it may not be aligned to the actual strategic intent of your vision and of your investments and where you want to go, but you can't avoid it. So prioritization will happen. It's just a whole lot more expensive to resolve competing priorities at the point of execution and the point of delivery than it is to resolve competing priorities at the point of strategic action or, you know, strategic intention. Mm -hmm. And so we have to recognize that can't avoid the work of prioritization. um, And we need to really really own it. But I think we get stuck so quickly that it becomes a seemingly impossible task. And at the point of strategy work or planning, it's easy to just let it go, right? Mm-hmm. We'll figure it out. We'll get it done. It all it all has to get done. But the thing is, if those five initiatives are critically important and they all do need to get done by the end of the year, then the only hope that we have that they do actually all get done with the quality and the level of performance that we need is to figure out what to tackle first, second, third, fourth, rather than just starting to planning to get started on them all. We really need to plan, prioritize so that we can get them done. Mm-hmm. That's so I, interesting. Yeah. Oh, go I'm ahead. Mike. I, I was just going to ask, how do you prior like ranking those priorities? Like you mm-hmm. said, because I think people work on all five of them in yep. different silos. So curious. Mm-hmm how you work with customers to, because they may say, well, they're all, to your point, they're all super important, but what is the most important? Yeah. So one of the reasons that I found in my work and in my research that prioritization becomes really hard is because we 
get started on everything at the same time. And, and if you don't have any limit to how much work you do at one time, there's not a really compelling reason to do the hard work of prioritization. And here's what I mean by that. Um, you know, if you have, well, a company that I worked with a few years ago, they were really, really struggling to make progress on some big strategic initiatives and goals. And they had like, they had 10 teams. This was a technology company and they had 10 um, product teams that were working on their work. They were really struggling. And so we took all of the work, we added it up and put it all up on a wall. And among those 10 teams, they had over 200 unique initiatives, projects, or bodies of work. And what became super clear is 200 exceeds their capacity to do quality work at the same time, right? And and thus we started to see the problem. What they looked at was how could they um, limit their, call it initiatives and progress, right? Or work in progress. What's the boundary around how much can this team do or this multiple teams do at any given time um, with high quality and good outcomes. And as you start to figure out, maybe for that group, they decided it was 10. One big initiative per team was what they could do. They had to figure out, okay, of those 200 things that were all in progress, what moves out of in progress and just hits pause for a little bit so that we can get some things done. That moment, one of the executives that was part of that at endeavor to really make visible um, how much work was in progress, talked about how prior to doing that, they didn't have a clear like boundary and compelling reason to prioritize more because they were all really important and everything could get started. So mm-hmm. if there's no limit to how much work can get started, there's an unlimited amount of work that may never get done. And so I think right. in order to get better at prioritization, we have to understand How much can we pursue at any given time? Because then we say, okay, we finished one big thing or we've made progress on this item enough. We've got room to pull something else in. And now we look at what's the list, what's the next thing to pull in. Um, And that helps us to have a reason to prioritize as opposed to just pushing everything into the flow and hoping that everybody gets it done. The other thing that I think becomes really tricky with prioritization when we're talking about prioritizing you know, strategic initiatives or big goals, even when we're talking about prioritizing our own, you know, personal goals for the year is we often start by asking a question like, well, what's important? What's the most important? And I think that question of like, what's the most important or what's going to add the most value is a really um, debilitating question. It's nearly impossible to answer, right? Um, It can all be important. It's like me saying, you know, which kid is the most important? Which kid do I like the most? Well, (laughs) I can't answer that question. If you force me to answer that question, I will be paralyzed and I will be stuck um, for a really long time. And and it's not necessarily the most helpful question because, well, I can't answer the question, which kid do I like the most? I can answer the question, which kid needs my attention next? And when we add like next to the word, we unlock a very different conversation because no longer are we trying to say, if this is number one, then number three and four are not important. We can say, yes, they are all important. Mm -hmm. What needs to get done next? What will add the most value by being done next? And I think often when we're in prioritization gridlock, we need a different question to ask, and that can unlock a different insight, a different answer, and an actionable path forward. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things I heard 
in that answer and in the answer from before is, and I think some companies are quite inconsistent with having enterprise versus like divisional priorities. Um, I heard you use the word enterprise and my personal experience is that when organizations have an enterprise vision or an enterprise strategy is probably the better word to use, it makes it a lot easier for the divisional leaders that roll up to that CEO to understand what their responsibilities are to drive forward in meeting those enterprise initiatives. So I think that's that's kind of a takeaway. Mm-hmm. One of my takeaways from this is have an enterprise strategy and make it really clear to your leadership team what that is. So then they can then set their priorities based on that enterprise strategy. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that you didn't really say, but I think you were saying it, you were just using different vernacular, is you have to say no. Like in the example of the technology company that had 200 projects, you have to be comfortable as a leadership team to tell your internal customer, Mm -hmm. no, you know, we, we have made it really clear as an executive leadership team that this is what we need to drive forward this year. And in order to make sure that those things get done and they get done right, there are other things that we have to say no to, at least for now, we could, we might be able to come back to them later, but they're shiny objects that are distracting us from getting done what we say we need to get done or we want to get done. Mm -hmm. And then my second Um, item is really more of a question. So I know, uh, Brandy, that you also focus on organizational structure, organizational design as a part of this work. So going back to the comment that I had made earlier about having kind of divisional leadership alignment to the overall organizational strategy, what um, how do you kind of consult with your leadership team on maybe like single threaded leaders or um, like who owns the project, right? Because I think that's another problem we run into is you've got too many cooks in the kitchen and nobody knows who to go to for the answers. And then you end up with like little small pockets of projects going on and things aren't moving. The needle isn't moving forward as quickly as the organization needs it to. Yeah, there's so much there. And that's one thing that happens all the time. One of my favorite questions to ask an organization that I just start work when I'm starting to work with them is, how do you know a decision has been made? And how does a decision get made in this organization? And often what I find is a wide variety of answers. Um, I asked that question once um, in a healthcare organization and the executive vice president, all of his direct reports, And a sampling of the many individual contributors in that organization all had very different answers to that question, right? So that reveals part of the challenge in what I would call the organizational ecosystem. And this is, I think, where it comes to structure. It's highly convenient to organize our companies by divisions and departments, like a machine, right? I call that the machine paradigm. It's highly convenient. It looks really great on paper. And it's easy to compartmentalize and it's easy to manage the complexity on paper of that. But that's not actually how any of our organizations work in reality because um, our work isn't siloed and divided um, in that way. Our organizations, groups of people working together operate much more like ecosystems, which are much more interconnected. And the reality about an ecosystem, whether you acknowledge that you have one or not, 
it exists because you've got humans working together is that change can happen in unpredictable ways and a change in one part of the ecosystem can have an outsized or unpredictable impact somewhere else. So if you take a big organizational goal and you just say, okay, each division head, you figure out, um, you know, what you're going to do in order to meet that goal. And those division heads are all doing that in isolation. It's highly likely that they come up with competing priorities or competing ways to solve the problem. And it doesn't actually line up to an entire shared vision or goal. So it's really important that that organizational structure, whether that's the way that the organization is is divided or the way that those division heads or those leaders choose their work and prioritize, that they have a way to do that together, that they get aligned first, right? Um, We see this a lot where those types of big organizational goals are set at the division level. And then you get into execution. You're like, oh, well, you actually need people from this division and you need people from that department to get it done. We have a lot of dependencies and we start to see that we have a lot of competing priorities and we get that swirl and we spend a whole lot more time like managing the um, competing direction um, or the work that comes with that. It it creates this invisible overhead and so much less time making good decisions and, and getting the work done. And so it all comes back up to how do you organize yourself so that you can see the shared goals and you can see the um, way that your, you know, division goals or your distinct goals connect or disconnect. Mm -hmm. Many times organizations don't see that because they don't have a shared mechanism to actually see all together in one space or talk about how their goal setting is, um, is aligned or not aligned. Um, So, so I think that's one thing. It's really looking at how do you organize yourselves so that what I, the title of the book, it's called real flow. Flow being how does it how does something move from an idea all the way through to execution to the value that it needs to create? Mm-hmm. And do you design your organizations to allow that flow where things move with ease, where people can do the work that they need to, they have what they need to get that work done? Or are you designed to interrupt that flow? Do you have a lot of stops and starts and floods and impediments? There's different ways to choose that organizational design. Some enable flow and others cause a flood. And that is something that you need to look at kind of from an aerial view in order to solve. You mentioned in your answer about the healthcare company and the executive said that everybody had different answers in terms of what the priorities were. And that it kind of reminds me of when a survey goes out and they say, are you clear on you know expectations? Or are you clear on priorities of the company? And it almost feels like there can be a wrong answer. And I feel like people answer like, of course I am, but they Mm -hmm. don't really know because it's, Mm -hmm. you know, they don't want to admit that. So I'm curious, how, how do you validate within the company that the priorities are set? You know, Mm -hmm. they're set up top maybe, and then they start working their way down. Leaders maybe will say, oh yeah, my team knows. Mm-hmm. But do you work with those leaders to say, okay, do they actually know? And how do you validate that they know? Yeah, because that happens all the time. And you could actually have everybody respond and say, yes, I am super clear on my prioritization or my priorities. And people could be clear and confident and yet still be in very, have very different priorities, mm-hmm. right? And in fact, some leaders might even look at that and be like, well, isn't that what delegation is all about, right? Everybody has a different priority and everybody makes progress on it. And that's how we get all the things done. And really the problem with that is if you're a leader and you have 10 number one priorities and you delegate those out to 10 different teams or 10 different direct reports, 
you as the leader now have 10 number one priorities. Part of the problem with that is you as the leader will spend your entire day and your entire week constantly in back-to-back meetings all day long, switching between this and that and the other, and your capacity to lead will be incredibly diminished, right? Mm -hmm. But you, so you could have um, a wide variety of scenarios that lead to really misaligned prioritization. And the most powerful tool that I've encountered, used, experienced, and seen work is visual, um, transparent management of prioritization. Because if you're only relying on prioritization living in people's brains, right? So we, you know, many times what happens is the leader's like, yeah, everybody knows what the priorities are. We talked about them last year, right? They're in the slide deck, right? I know what they are. Everybody knows what they are, right? And um, that assumes one that we all hear, you know, that we say the words we mean and we all understand what that is. It assumes that prioritization is static, And that's a big problem because prioritization needs to be an active, ongoing, emerging thing. What was number one 18 months ago may not be the next most important thing to get done. And if you don't have a really dynamic way to prioritize and reprioritize, you're going to be stuck. Mm -hmm. Um, But when we rely on prioritization and the shared knowledge of prioritization, either living just in our brains, right, from a conversation once or stuck away in a PowerPoint deck, a SharePoint site, an Excel document, Um, something really inaccessible, we don't know. It's really hard to have accountability for continuing to work towards those shared priorities. So I really encourage um, visual flow boards. Sometimes those are called Kanban boards. I like to call them flow boards. There's a variety of other visual management tools that make it really easy for leaders to visually communicate their prioritization, for teams to visually communicate the progress they're making, and to look at those often together so that we continue to come back to and reground ourselves in what needs to get done next and what's going to add the most value next and um, what are we working towards together. Yeah, I would imagine reconfirming those priorities throughout the year as well. I think about some companies I've been in where we have this direction and then a month later something new comes out and we all kind of look at each other and say, well, now does this change? Are we no longer doing that? or? Mm-hmm. Is this in addition to that? Or how does this, and sometimes you don't get an answer there. And so I think as a leader coming out and saying, this is what we're doing. This is Mm -hmm. now a priority. It doesn't change this, or maybe it does. You talk about agility. So maybe it is okay Mm -hmm. to change a priority, but make sure that they know that that's been changed. Yep. This gets to the question that you asked, Jess, or the comment you made about saying no, right? Things do change. And agility, the heart of agility is the capacity to invest in and respond to change in order to achieve our outcomes, which inherently means that sometimes our prioritization does change because there's an emerging priority that we didn't know about um, two months ago or that we've learned about. That kind of change, changing prioritization, always comes with a cost. So part of Agile organizational design is designing to minimize the cost of change when it inevitably has to happen. Um, But we do have to change and pivot and adapt, especially if our big vision, our big outcomes, we want to stay grounded in those. Our prioritization of how to get there will inherently adjust. One of the things that happens, though, if you don't have a sense of what's our work in progress limit or what's our initiative in progress limit, 
when something new emerges, we got to get it done. It just goes into the flow. That's a number one priority. Yes, we have to get this done and those 10 other things. And so the radical like art of prioritization is about being really radical and ruthless and saying, if we're going to get this done next, how does that adjust our rank ordered prioritization? It doesn't mean that we maybe won't get, you know, eight and nine done, but it does mean that we're going to focus on getting one through five done first, and then Mm -hmm. we'll move on to the next things, because we know if we try to accomplish all 10 plus this new emerging priority, our quality is going to suffer. We're going to start experiencing burnout. We're not going to be working in sustainable ways. We might put ourselves at risk of not getting any of it done, right? So it's about having those leadership conversations to say, okay, if this is truly the next number one priority, how does that impact? should always impact the rank of everything else. Yeah. Great examples. As we're wrapping things up here, um, you've provided just a lot of takeaways for our listeners to think about as they're maybe consulting with their leaders, or maybe they themselves are dealing with competing priorities and they've over, you know, their last few years have really struggled with driving um, projects and initiatives through to completion you know, out, outside of some of these great takeaways that you provided, is there anything else you would want to leave our listeners with, whether it be for them specifically, knowing that our listenership is predominantly HR folks, you know, that are maybe leading HR teams themselves or consulting with business leaders on their own initiatives? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's probably two things, right? One, if you're just individually as a leader looking at the many priorities that you have on your plate, looking at them with that lens of what's going to add value to get done next, and then planning to get done as opposed to what we usually do, which is just plan to start everything and shifting from, you know, not just planning to start, which means we can start everything, but really what's it going to take to get done and what do we need to get done next so we can move on with focus to whatever else is on our list, I think is the biggest thing. And as a leader, the greatest one of the greatest ways I believe that you can serve your team and serve the organization that you support and the leaders that you support is tackling that hard work of resolving competing priorities in the early stages and ensuring alignment, even when it's challenging. Um, Because if you don't do it, somebody else will or nobody else will. And, And then you will create this swirl and this flood, which will keep people from doing the work that they're hired to do, which is to be creative and solve problems and get things done. Well, Brandy, thank you so much. Um, would you mind just sharing um, with our listeners where people can follow you or connect with you? And then I know you mentioned the name of your book already, but just remind um, our listeners the name of your book and also where they can grab it if they're interested in giving it a read. Sure. So you can find me at realworkdone.com. And that is um, where I write. And there's info about the book there as well. And I publish a um, twice monthly newsletter for leaders who want to get real work done. You can also find me on LinkedIn. And I would love to connect with you there. I create space for a lot of meaningful conversations as we collectively figure out how to do more of the work that matters. You can find me there. The book is called Real Flow. Information's on my website, but you can also find it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever you'd like to buy your books. It will be there for you. Okay. And you offer um, consulting services to just pretty much any organization, big or small, specific industries? Yeah. So consulting around 
organizational design, particularly for those who are wanting to design themselves for change more effectively, can only take a really limited number of consulting engagements each year. But um, if that's a need or an interest you have, I would love to talk. I also do workshops and I speak. So if you've got an event coming up or an internal opportunity to bring perhaps a prioritization conversation to your group of leaders, I'd love to hear from you. And I'd love to talk about how to support you in that and bringing a different way to look at the challenge and opportunity of prioritization. Great. Well, thank you. This was a topic we definitely could have used more time for because it's like we said at the top of the episode, it's a it's a topic that applies to so many areas of our life, not just business, but appreciate what you left Mike and I with and what you left our listeners with. And maybe we'll have you back in the future to dig into this topic more or maybe some org design topics um, in the future. So thank you again. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Jess and Mike. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsharm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use code WHATTHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.